0: know that I'm not just up here checking whatever sports scores are happening right now. I don't know. I don't sport well. (laughs) When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Oh, So in our journey through the scriptures, we have made it all the way to 1 Kings 17. Now, there's a lot of scripture listed today in your bulletin. I have 1 Kings 17 through 19, 2 Kings 2, 4, and 6, Hosea 4 and 5, 8 and 9, and 14, Amos 1, 3 through 5 and 9. And I promise I read all of those multiple times. Uh, We're pretty much just going to be sticking to 1 Kings for today, though, so that you don't have to keep moving on through. But if you save your bulletin, I would highly encourage you to go through the rest of that, and you'll see there's quite a lot going on that I'm not going to get a chance to touch on today. Uh, Again, I'm doing broad strokes. Please read the scriptures for yourself or listen to them or call someone up and have them read to you. I actually know people among us, if someone called you randomly and said, "Would you please read First Kings to me?" How many of you, by show of hands, would do it? Now look around; they exist. If you don't feel like reading, pick up your phone. We have them amongst us. They will read to you. All right. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, "As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand." There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flowed into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So we are starting off, really, I believe this is where we meet Elijah, as he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. And the God immediately tells him to go off by himself where he will be fed by the ravens and he can drink from this brook. And after a while, and I believe in the NIV, it actually says after around three years, because uh, this morning, okay, sorry, Bunny, my brother sent me a brand new Bible in the mail. He did that last time too. So you're in the New King James with me this morning, but he's sharing and I thought I'd share with you as well. Um, Anyhow, But in uh, the other translation that I was reading in, it actually gave a period of time in which the brook uh, dried up. So Elijah is going to move. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This is not from their abundance. They have just a little bit of bread or a little bit of flour and oil left that they're preparing to eat. And then they're going to prepare to die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, and go and do as I have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me. Afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by Elijah. Now it happened that after these things, that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and the sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him out on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, "O Lord, my God. Have you also brought tragedy onto the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So sometimes when we get upset, we forget things very quickly. She has been fed from this jar of flour that's running out and this jar of oil that's running out for an extended period of time at this point. Yet when her son becomes sick and dies, she does what the rest of us do. And she's wondering where God is. Why is this happening? But we got to remember, when she first met Elijah, she was preparing her last bread to eat it so that her and her son could die. So they could just wait to die. So had God not chosen to revive this widow's son, He still would have experienced the mercy of God by extending his life for an extended period of time. Yet God has decided to heal this child. And it does seem to really restore her faith. And I'm sure that it also helps Elijah as well. And anybody in contact with them when you see the Lord move, It really does revitalize you. I am on to chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in the land. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was while Jezebel, that is King Ahab's queen, massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken a hundred and fifty, nope, he had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water. So within the household, the man who runs the house of the king and queen The queen has decided to kill all of God's prophets, and he has kept 100 of them alive and hidden, and he is feeding them and caring for them. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water and to the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hands of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go tell Ahab, I cannot find you, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men in the, of the Lord's prophets, 50 in a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? That is a very interesting thing to say to the prophet of God, isn't it? Is that you, O troubler of Israel? He's blaming Elijah that it hasn't rained. He's blaming Elijah for all the problems in Israel. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So I want you to notice something here. People have turned away from God to the point where there are mentioned in here. There are 850 prophets to foreign gods in Israel. It's a big enough problem that there's at least 850 prophets to service this idolatry, this false religion. There is enough people following after other gods that they require almost a thousand prophets. This is a huge issue. Not to mention Jezebel has taken it unto herself to kill all of the prophets of God, so there's really no competing voice. They're being bombarded by messages of spirituality and religion and faith about the Baals and the Asherah, because they have removed the voice of God to the best of their ability. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long... Will you falter between two opinions if the Lord is God follow him but if Baal follow him but the people answered him not a word then elijah said to the people i alone am left prophet of the lord but baal's prophets are 450 men therefore let him give us let them give us two bowls And let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood. Put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Again, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That signifies that this was translated from the word Yahweh, right? If it was translated from any other word, it would just be capital L, and then the rest of it would be lowercase. So he's going to call on the name of the Lord. He's going to call on the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many, and call on the name of your God. Put no fire under it. So they took the bowl which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leapt about the altar which they had made, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping Sleeping and must be awoken. So they cried aloud, and they cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past... They prophesied until the time the offering of the evening sacrifices, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seeds of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time so that the water ran around the altar and it also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when the people saw this, They fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Hmm. I'm going to keep going just a little further, but I am coming back to that. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And Ahab went to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And it came to pass that the seventh time he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say, Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So what we have in just First Kings 17 and 18 is it presents us with a problem. The problem is, is that people have turned their hearts away from God to follow after other gods. How God chooses to deal with this is he tells the prophet, tell them it's not going to rain until you say so. And he does. And that lasts for three years. That is a terrible drought. In the meantime, the queen, who follows after false gods very zealously, has all the prophets of God killed, so she thinks. Obadiah saves some. Yet still, when I come... To the end of chapter 18 to around verse 40, when Elijah has all the prophets of Baal executed. I find myself taken back by that. Where I'm just like, that seems so absolutely violent. Now, I'm falling into some trappings here of my own logic when I do that, but I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room who's doing that when you get to that section of Scripture, especially when we hold peace to be such an important character that Jesus showed over and over again. Now, the first question I'm going to ask will rub some of you the wrong way because it rubs me the wrong way, which is why I enjoy it so much, probably. I'm going to start with the most obvious question, question. Does God need to justify his actions to me? Well, no. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time, and I have two or three planners. God doesn't need to justify his actions to me. Now, the next thing I can ask, though, is, is this not justice Is this not justice for the murder of all of God's prophets? For turning people away from the Lord God and having them follow after pagan gods? Because a, a, a very important truth that we lose sight of is in order for justice to exist, there always has to be punishment for evil. Justice is incredibly important. Anything that is not justice is sinful. But in order for justice to exist, there has to be punishment for sin. Or else what we have is mercy on top of mercy, which is not bad. Mercy is a wonderful thing, and God gives it to us. But part of justice is punishment. Now, something that I feel very, very strongly is when I read this account of what God did that doesn't give me permission to go smite the pagans. At no point in Christian history that I'm aware of has God told someone, go kill all these people. I know there's been a few instances where people have claimed that. But when God decides to execute judgment, and when I decide to execute judgment, are two very important distinctions. Everything that I see on this side of the cross to the fulfillment of the covenant that Elijah is living in tells me that the internal is as important as the external to the point where if I get angry with someone I have the weight of committing murder. This is the covenant that I live under. I believe that I follow the Prince of Peace. However, somehow in this, I don't know if I can call it a dichotomy, but in between these two covenants, I can look at what God has done and see the majesty of God and the justice and the judgment of God without seeing it as a historical model that I am to follow. The faithfulness of Elijah, the zeal of Elijah, that I am to follow. Honestly, if you happen to feel that God has revealed to you to kill somebody, I would really strongly encourage you to pray harder because I doubt it. I doubt it a lot. I'm going to go ahead and say, no, he didn't. Because what we have after the Old Testament tells me that, well, no, he didn't. You know that Christians didn't start martyring heretics until far later. Until the government actually started controlling the church. Christians didn't kill heretics. Did you know that? Bet you never thought about that. They tried to worship in spirit and in truth. They changed the world. They did. We're all sitting here. But what I'm struck by is I can still see the beauty and the majesty of God in the Old Testament, even in spite of all the accounts of violence and in spite of all the accounts of things that God determined Because that was where they were. And that was God's judgment. I've had the experience, I'll just call it an experience, that's neutral enough, right? To have been a part of a war that's still going on. Which they've started calling the forever war, because I was there 16 years ago? 17 years ago? It's still going on. The people that are being deployed to that war now weren't even born when it started. Think about that. If you ever want to get depressed, try to figure out why we're there. I was there. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know, whatever the motivation was, It was not the same motivation that caused Elijah to have 450 false prophets of Baal slaughtered. I assure you, it had nothing to do with that heavenly justice. (laughs) A very important thing that I feel I need to bring up, though, is that God is sovereign. God understands and knows things that are outside of my, my sphere of understanding. Because even though we can see the wickedness that led all the way to chapter 18 in the book of 1 Kings, I still find myself cringing at the idea of killing people in mass over a different idea. And that's because I've been shown such great mercy I've been shown such a great mercy that was not available to these people. I'm really comparing apples and oranges. The mercy that Jesus Christ has shown me in forgiving my sins and my blasphemies and my heresies is not available to these people. That is the benefit of living on this side of the cross. I'm not saying that those prophets of Baal could not have turned and started following the true God of Israel and changed their ways had they been afforded the opportunity. But anyhow, I thought that I should spend just a little moment discussing that instead of just parading right through it, as I think we were all hoping I would. (laughs) Which phone company used to have the pin drop? Anybody remember? I know it wasn't Verizon because right now it sounds like, pick up a phone here. That's seriously what our phone line sounds like right now. Just There's not even a dial tone. We're getting closer and closer to that Mennonite meeting house we started as, I believe. Maybe that's a good thing. In the scriptures that I also chose for this morning that I'm not really going to touch on, it gives a lot of accounts of Elijah and then being succeeded by uh, Elisha, who was given a double portion of the blessing that Elijah had. And it's amazing to see how God used those two men to the point where Elisha's even performing the same style of miracles as Elijah. There's overlap. It's it's really neat. Uh, And I would highly encourage you to go back through and to read through those scriptures that were chosen. But in the effort to make much about Jesus, because that will be my mantra. When I'm reading the Old Testament, I want to look for the nature of Christ. Who was with God in the beginning. And you can see so many Christ-like things throughout the, the Old Testament. So many models of Christ. in Elijah, and I realize God told him to do this, but Elijah caring for that widow and son. He didn't just go in and take their oil and their flour and reproduce a cake every day. He didn't just take that loaf of bread and multiply it. We know God does that because Jesus did it twice, but he went in and he stayed with that widow and that boy and cared for them. And then when the boy got sick and died, he prayed that God would give him back. What we actually see is Jesus, Jesus. We see Jesus. We see something that we see in a greater extent with Jesus where he went into the home and took care of these people and he spent time with them and he got to know them and he was attached enough to them that he cared if one of them died. This is a massive famine. People were probably dying everywhere. But God showed his mercy to people as he saw fit. And I see something very clearly about the nature of God in accounts like this. And what I've heard most preached about from that section of Scripture is Elijah's showdown with the uh, prophets of Baal on top of the mountain where he calls fire down from heaven. And we like that. I like that. Did anyone else like that? I like that. It's the power of God very tangibly falling from heaven to the point where it actually consumes the stones anybody you've all taken science classes you know the melting point of rock is very high consumes the stones and licks up the water and the dust we can see the power of god and we can also see if we keep reading that the very next thing that happened is the queen gets mad at him and wants him dead, he gets scared and runs away. Because something else that keeps shining through in all of Scripture is that people are people, and they continue to be people. Even the, one of the mightiest men of faith in all of human history, being Elijah, got scared and ran away. Because he was the only one left. And he asked God, why didn't you just kill me? Why don't you just let me die? I'm the only one. And God tells him, well, no, you're not. You're not the only one. I've kept a remnant. And I believe it was a thousand people. See, this is what happens when I start paraphrasing. But he left him a remnant of believers that have not bent the knee or kissed Baal. We have a tendency to feel alone, especially if you take college classes. You'll have a tendency to feel alone if ideas of religion come up. Because even the people that agree with you aren't going to voice it because they're not ready for an apologetics argument they probably don't read their Bible outside of Sunday morning. Again, 17% of Bible-believing Christians read their Bible outside of Sunday morning. They probably don't know what to say. And I remember that happening to me in college even, and I didn't feel that I was being massively persecuted. But the way my prehistory teacher asked is, who here believes the myths about creation? I'm like, well, I wouldn't phrase it like that, but here I am. got to find a better way to phrase that if you were trying to engage people in conversation. Of course, I didn't say all of that because they had fancy letters after their names. So I just was like, yes, I do. And then in broken English, they asked me if I was a Christum. And I said, yes, I am, because I knew what she meant. It was interesting. And I wouldn't call that, uh, what's the word they use? Persecution. I would not call that persecution. Not at all. There are so many countries right now where the church is under persecution. I had a minor inconvenience in a higher education class. That's not persecution. After class, people even came up and said, I agree with you. I'm like, oh, cool. You forgot how to raise your hand. Cool. Whatever. But it amazes me. It amazes me how quickly we forget. And how there are always other people. There are other faithful people. I'm not going to raise this as a serious question, but have you ever wondered why no one else then went to confront King Ahab? If there's a thousand other people and a hundred other prophets hiding in caves, Why is no one else confronting Ahab? Perhaps they weren't called to. Maybe they did, and they weren't successful enough to be included. But don't you think God cared for those hundred prophets hiding in the cave? Did God love Elijah more? Or those thousand people dispersed around that were faithful to God, did God love them less than Elijah? Why did he choose Elijah to be his instrument? In our Bible study on Tuesday night, we got to see a picture of stones that hold up a temple. How you see certain stones, but there's so many stones supporting those stones that you never see. I don't know. Were they praying for Elijah? I don't know. I do know that God loved them. I, knew that, I know that God spared them. I know that God uses their presence to encourage Elijah when he thinks he's all alone. We don't really see what our sovereign God is doing. We try to force it into our little man-made vision. Because it's all we can see. We're so finite. We're trying to figure out why would God ever do this? And anytime something has been grave enough for someone to ask me that, nine times out of ten, I can say, I have no idea. I don't know. God knows. I know God. I don't know what God is doing. God is always moving, though. And God is always using things to his glory. If you're looking for the motivation, though, I don't know. I don't know, but I trust God and he knows. And that's what I have for you today. I hope I didn't spend too much time in an area of scripture that you don't like, but sometimes those are good for us as well. If you could please, if you're able to do so without pain, can you stand with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the divine oracles that you've given us in your scripture. I thank you especially for the verses that are hard to decipher. I thank you for the growth that you can provide us. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be with the rest of our service, that you would continue to draw us closer to each other and closer to you. Lord, I pray that you would bless the meal and those who decide to stay for it and that you would continue to be with our baptism and membership class. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That brings us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing, which will be led by Mike Talfew.